Hello and welcome to Home to Her, the podcast that's dedicated to reclaiming the lost and stolen wisdom of the sacred feminine. I'm your host, Liz Kelly, and on each episode, we explore her stories and myths, her spiritual principles, and most importantly, what this wisdom has to offer us right now. Thanks for being here. Let's get started. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Home to Her podcast. I am your host, Liz, joining you from Central Virginia and the unceded lands of the Monica Nation, and I am so glad that you're joining me today. And hey, there's a couple of things I want to tell you before we get into this. First, you've probably heard me acknowledge the Monica Nation here before. These are the indigenous people who lived in Virginia for thousands of years prior to the arrival of European colonizers like my own ancestors. And they're still here as a federally recognized tribe. And if you're listening to the show, especially from the United States or Canada, the odds are really good you are residing on indigenous lands too. So if you'd like to know whose lands you're on, you can look it up yourself at native-land.ca. I'll also put that in the show notes for you. And second thing I wanna tell you, I have a book baby that is coming out into the world very soon. My book is titled, appropriately enough, Home to Her, and it's being published by Womancraft Publishing. Um, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you would know that I've been lucky enough to have Lucy Pierce, who's the founder of Womancraft, um, here on the show twice before. And some of my fellow Womancraft authors have joined me here on the show before, too. So my book is available for pre-order now, and it's going to be ready to ship worldwide in October of this year. So that's 2022. And it's my love note of sorts to the sacred feminine and just reflects a lot of what I've learned about her over the years, whether that's um, through my own research, through personal experience, and also through conversations that I've had on this podcast for the last couple of years. Um, you can learn more about it and order it at Womancraft's website, which is womancraftpublishing.com. And I will put that in the show notes as well. And now let's get on with our show. So I feel so fortunate to get to be in conversation with some incredibly inspiring pioneering women. And today is no exception. Um, in fact, when I was sitting and thinking about like, I want to say something kind of pithy and interesting before we get started, I just felt like everything was going to feel inadequate. I just, all I want to do is introduce her to you. So that, that's what I'm going to do because I feel like you're, you're going to want to hear from her, you know, as much as you can in this episode. Genevieve Vaughn is an independent researcher and scholar of semiotics or the study of signs, symbols, and meaning making. She's also a peace activist and feminist who has championed the concept of the gift economy, where goods are given among people rather than bought and sold. The gift economy uses the matriarchal mother-child paradigm as a key basis of its structure. She is the founder of the Foundation for a Compassionate Society, a multicultural all-women activist foundation, which during its time of operation initiated many innovative projects for social change based on the political use of women's gifting values. Genevieve is also the author of several articles and books, including Forgiving, A Feminist Criticism of Exchange, and The Gift in the Heart of, the La of Language, The Maternal Source of Meaning. She is the founder of the Temple of Goddess Spirituality, located in Nevada, USA. She is a co-founder of International Feminist for a Gift Economy and co-founder of the regularly recurring Maternal Gift Economy Salons, which is how I came to be introduced to her work. 
Genevieve currently splits her time between Austin, Texas and Italy, and she's joining us today from her home in Austin. Genevieve, thank you so much for being here today. I'm so grateful to have you with me. Thank you, Liz. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm happy to be here. Yes, yes. Well, I um, I usually like to start these conversations uh, getting a little bit of sense of people's spiritual background and um, you know, what they were exposed to growing up. And, you know, cause I think that helps us understand kind of how shapes, how you, you got where you are. So I wonder if you would be willing to share a little bit of that to start off with. Sure. Yeah. I was uh, born Catholic. Um, and my parents were fairly religious and my grandmother was very religious, but anyway, I, and, and, uh, when I was 11, my grandmother took me on a trip to Rome, Italy, to uh, to actually we had a, uh, a an interview with the Pope. Wow! <laughs> well, we were with a group of priests and nuns and uh, a few other non non uh, clerical people, and uh, and and we got to meet the Pope and. And uh, he put his hand on my head, and my 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 husband said, "You know, they ruined you for life." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, uh, so I was a Catholic um, until I was about sixteen, when I had a a, a, a deep um, questioning of of religion, and became an atheist. So then I was an atheist for, I came, went to Italy, I married this Italian and went to Italy and, and uh, I was a, an atheist for uh, about 15 years or more than that. And, uh, and then when I came back to live in the United States in 1983, I ran into the goddess movement. I met women right away. Were in the, and it just totally made sense to me. <laughs> the goddess made sense to me. And I gave up atheism and embraced the goddess. Mm. And, uh, and it was, yeah, really a very, um, very cool transition, let's say. Um, and as I said, even though, uh, even though I was an atheist, I had gone to um, Egypt with my husband, who then got a divorce later. But um, we went to Egypt to um, just on a sort of trip. And we happened to go when we were in uh, Luxor. We went into this room underground, sort of, with the guide. And there was this statue of Sekhmet, the goddess Sekhmet. And the, the guide told me, um, women come here and they give an offering or make a promise to the goddess and, and they become pregnant if they want to. And so I had not become pregnant yet and I wanted to. And I I promised her that I would build her a temple. Wow. And I like the next week, do I got pregnant. <laughs> so it was a very strong uh, experience. 
And even though I, I had done that, even though I, at the time I was an atheist, so it was kind of very shocking <laughs> and surprising. But at any rate, I knew I had to build her the temple at, at, at some point in my life. I should have done it right away, but it was not easy as an atheist to build the temple to the goddess. <laughs> <laughs> And then, but even even so, I knew I had to do it, and I finally did do it when I came back to the U.S. and became a, a goddess uh, person, and uh, was able to finally, I was finally able to do it. But mm. I think maybe I'm interspersing too many different things at the same time. No, well, that's great. I, I wanted to ask you about kind of how the divine feminine came into your life and you you did answer that. And I, I was wondering if you could tell um, just for our listeners who maybe aren't very familiar with Sekhmet, who she is. I know she's the lion-headed uh, goddess from Egypt, correct? But can you just say a little more about her? Yeah, well, you know, um, the, the in, in Egypt, this guide, uh, saw her as a goddess of fertility but the actual stories about her are not that uh she is a, a, a goddess that's very fierce and uh, um the the story is that uh, she was going she as she was the daughter of ra and she was going to um punish all the humans for not obeying ra by killing them and that and the uh, the people appeased her by giving her red beer instead of <laughs> instead of blood and she and she didn't kill everybody so this was but she was the goddess of of uh war and and so so i had to kind of had to kind of mediate between these these two poles you see and um as it happens, the place that I found to do the temple is right near the nuclear test site in Nevada. Oh. And so it is a place of war, but she is standing for peace in front of this whole war machine. And so she's a, a, a symbol of women's empowerment and the empowerment of life to stand up to all of this destruction that's going on. And it's really amazing because um, there was already a military base right there near, right next to, well, let's say a, a mile away from where we've found to build this temple. And then the nuclear test site is maybe 15 miles away. So, as we have been there since 1992, um, a lot of other military facilities have grown up all around it. And so it is this one little spot for peace mm -hmm. in the middle of all of this war machine. And uh, it, it turned out to be a very significant place to have it and a significant place to stand for birth and life before the machine of death. So, wow, so powerful. It was, it worked out. Yes, and yeah. I was making little notes to myself of things I want to, this often happens when I'm listening. I'm like, oh, I want to ask you about this and this and this. So we'll see if I can hold on to all these threads. But um, one thing I just wanted to say about uh, Sekhmet that I, I always found interesting 
I always like to see if there are parallels, you know, in other traditions and cultures and that fierceness of her and also um, like her, her bloodlust. That's sort of the story that I, I had read or the interpretation, like she's like goes crazy and, you know, just wants to drink the blood and kill everybody. And it reminded me so much of the story of um, Kali who gets a taste of the demon's blood, you know, and uh, I believe it's Rakta Bija, right? And uh, she can't stop. Like she just keeps going and going and something has to happen to appease her. Mm -hmm. And um, so I, you know, I don't make any claim to like a scholarly claim of knowing for sure if those things are connected, but I find the, the overarching theme to be really fascinating. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a fundamental theme that, shows that women really are very powerful and we can make these changes happen and the and the kinds of uh, destruction of the demon uh, are completely opposite of what we are and we need to stand up for what we are what women are what life is what children are and what men are at heart also even though they get and we all get deviated into yeah. this horrible war mentality yes i guess the other thing i was thinking too we, we were thinking about these poles of birth and then the fierceness and however uh, i think uh, many women who've given birth would know that there is uh, it is a very fierce act <laughs> you know yeah. it takes a tremendous amount of strength and power and um yeah, like a roaring lion in that moment feels extremely appropriate <laughs> to me. Ah, yeah, you know, I'm I'm just remembering that when I did give birth to my or my oldest daughter, um, I I had this vision of a lion. Mm. That, uh, I, while I was, you know, and 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 uh, yeah. I just didn't ever ever make the connection with segment between that and the, at that time. So thank you. Oh wow, you're <laughs> welcome. Oh, I love that. That makes sense that you would have seen her since you called on her. Absolutely. Oh wow. Oh, I love that. Um, okay. Well, and the I I I want to come back to the temple too that you created because just as I was reading about your work and your. Um, your legacy, like one of the things that just was so powerful to me is the way that it seems like um, you've you've taken scholarship into action and practice. And so the Sekhmet temple, um, and, and I, I want you to confirm if I've got this right, but it seems like this beautiful intersection of spiritual practice, activism, and also what you have championed in terms of maternal gift economy values but maybe before we talk about that you can tell us a little bit about this idea of the maternal gift economy where that came from and how that sort of came out of your your life okay um well i guess it's a long story because i started thinking about it back in uh, when i was 24 so just after i got married um, I married this uh, philosophy professor, professor also of semiotics, and he got invited in the very first year that we were married and living in Italy. He got invited by some other uh, professors to start a magazine, a journal that would be based on an, um, applying 
Marx's analysis of the commodity and money to language. And I went with him to hear about this uh, idea. And I was just totally floored. And I had an aha moment. And um, I, it, it just made me it sort of change my mind in, in a big way. Um, I'm not, I guess I, I won't go into what I thought of right then, but over time it, it developed and my, my husband began to write uh, articles about this applying the idea of the market and uh, money to language and seeing the similarities. And he wrote articles and books about that. And uh, I had, I was thinking about that too, a lot. And I had little children and I realized that the children didn't know how to exchange, didn't know how to use money. They had no idea of what the market was and yet they could talk. So they learned how to talk before they learned how to exchange. And uh, so I thought it must be coming, if it was, if there was an e economy had anything to do with language, it must be before the market and not uh, through the market. And so I thought about um, the gift economies of native peoples that I had heard about and read about in college. And that made a lot of sense because they didn't have markets and yet they spoke. <laughs> you know, they certainly had language. And, uh, and so I thought, well, this is a gift economy. And, and the, that's what is the basis of language. And I was doing gifting with my daughters. I was not asking them to pay me back for anything I gave them. And so, and and we were communicating that in giving and receiving and in speaking and all. And so I really began to see it, uh, the basis of language as this maternal gift economy. And then that is opposed to the exchange and all of the things that come out of exchange, which is quid pro quo, and which is that, you know, if I give you, I will only give you this if you give me that. Mm -hmm. And that is an ego-oriented uh, interaction, whereas the maternal way, the gift economy, is an other-oriented interaction because you want to satisfy the child's needs. And so there's these two um, paradigms, I believe. One is based on giving directly to satisfy needs, and the other is based on uh, giving in order to receive an equivalent in exchange. So our whole economy uh, that we call economy is based on exchange mm -hmm. and quid pro quo, whereas our, uh, our maternal economy our basic economy where we learn everything in the beginning because as we're young children, before we ever even learn about the market, we have a whole lot of experience in just receiving and giving. And so that is where all of our early um, ways of knowing are laid down in the first years. 
and our ways of interacting. And it's relational. It's the way we create relations while we're also speaking, while we're playing and uh, being loving and being loved by Mm. our parents and others. If we're lucky, sometimes people are not, don't have that uh, luck, but, uh, and they do grow up anyway, but that is because I believe that the whole structure of the way we know is transmitted even even by the fact that other people satisfy our needs and they have to because otherwise we don't survive. So all all the people who have survived have had that nurturing in in childhood. And so that is the basis of really of a true philosophy that patriarchy has never understood because they weren't mothers. They didn't do it. And and they didn't usually have contact with the little children that much. And at least in in our society with the gender gender roles that we have. Instead, in 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 other indigenous societies and prehistoric societies, um, there were there's a kind of group nurturing that goes on. And where they have gift economies and people, other people than the birth mother take care of children as well. And in many societies, you do also have groups of women who help the mother. So this is a, um, a whole different way of life that we have lost in our patriarchal capitalist world. And I really believe that the that that is the reason why we're in such a disastrous situation that we are now. Yeah. And uh, if we can get back to it, if we can understand and even embrace the values that are in that maternal gift economy way, uh, we can we can realize we're not this this war making species. We we're not this destructive exploitative hateful species that is destroying the planet we're a, actually a very maternal uh species that is able to give and receive all different kinds of gifts and to uh consciously interact with the environment in a giving and receiving way mm. so um that is that is really um how um, then I began to write books about uh, about the gift economy, and uh, I, I wrote some essays really early on. And then I, when I came to the U.S., then I, I and after I did the foundation, while I did the foundation, which is trying to practice the gift economy, I uh, I, I wrote these books uh, that I'm tr- I've been trying to explain it ever since. And yes, so- <laughs> well. Um... And I've been reading Forgiving, you know, I'm, I'm taking my time with it because I want to, you know, really absorb it. So it's going to take me a little while. But I, I think um, for those of us who were raised in, um, you know, a, 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 a economy or a culture that was shaped by um, European inspired patriarchy, right? Like this is, it feels really uh, foreign and um 
I know when I first started, you know, it, it almost felt scary when I first read about it because there was a, a sense of, uh, the first thing that came up was a sense of fear about, uh, and a lack of trust, which I think, uh, and because gifting requires faith in it, it, and it's all the things that I would talk about and, and be in conversation with people here on this show of there's a, you know, there's a, there's a greater order to all the natural world there that we see it in nature all the time. There's a beautiful symbiosis and there's a, there's a giving and receiving that is happening. And yet we have imagined ourselves as outside of that, or somehow like we are masters of our own destiny or something like that. And so to step back from that idea of master of, of our own destiny requires, uh, and, and to, to relax into a gift um, mindset also requires faith that you're going to be held and that you're going to be supported. Yeah. Um, so it's a little bit of like the ground, I think, shifting under your feet, you know, when you start thinking about it. Yeah, well, I, I think our our economy, our market economy discredits giving. Yes. And it w- wants us to always earn everything we get. Yes. And and that uh, otherwise we are not really good people <laughs> some way. And uh, we're, we're less than just as they are, you know, the housework is discredited yes. women's work in the home well it's, it's discredited because it's not paid for right and uh what we need is a whole economy that's not paid for yes. not, not to integrate uh every every free uh part of life into the exchange economy into to commodify everything like you know now people are having to pay for water and uh, seeds and fertilizer and all of these things that big companies are making money off of all of the things that used to be free and we're you know even the pollution that we create makes us need to even purify the air and it is has become uh this kind of uh, it's a it's a parasite that yeah. taking over everything and um and and basically always has because the exchange economy takes from the gift economy and that's how profit is made because yes. piece of uh, extra piece that the that the capitalists get from the free work of women from part of the 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 low cost work of people that are working in factories and mines and uh all over agriculture everywhere and um and and uh, all of the free gifts of nature yes. so it's a there is this flow of gifts that goes through the market and nobody calls them gifts they just call them profit and the deserved profit as if it were you know it's an it's an extraction all the way along not not just from um uh, oil and coal extracted from the earth but extracted from people throughout as well as from nature. So it, it, it's a system that's really crazy. Yes. And I was just thinking of uh, resources, how even, you know, like when I was in the business world, you, you called people human resources, know. <laughs> you know, or like, you know, you refer to natural resources when you're really talking about gifts that you're exploiting, uh, you know, you're yeah. taking, you're taking from the earth, right? taking free from the earth and that nurtures you 
Yeah. So it's it's kind of an opposite. It's kind of the opposite of the mother. <laughs> yes. Well, and I I'm curious if you have thoughts on because this makes so much sense to me that this would be our earliest human nature. And I I, I forget who I read said something like this, like a you know that's the whole survival of the fittest thing is not, that doesn't characterize humanity. What characterizes humanity is compassion because you just, we wouldn't survive. Like children are so helpless for so long and you've, you've got to care for them, but where in your research and you're thinking about this, did, have you seen a particular point in, as children grow, where we are kind of shifting the mindset away from that natural state of gifting and into exchange? Yeah, I've read about uh, about it, and the the one um, book that really talks about that that I've read and is by two women, Bertie and Bombi are their names, and uh, they located it about three years at about three years old. Mm. Three, but they children begin to understand uh, exchange, the quid pro quo. By, about then but then they don't totally understand it until they get to be maybe 10 they understand the whole how the whole market works um so and that is also um the time when the, our brains are becoming lateralized yeah. to, uh, and uh so that the exchange way becomes kind of normal in the when we when we're lateralized towards the left brain and language and logic, mm. um, and and in a, in a way it's it's really too bad because it um, it like sticks inside of our brain. It, it, yes, it, it it gets us, and if if we and now too it's even worse because there's so much advertising to little children that. I think it's probably uh, making the switch earlier, and yes. so it's it's harming us. All this advertising to little children, and and uh, yeah, and even all the whole. Well, I I don't want to go into the whole cell phone thing and babies. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I'm curious though if you what you think of Leonard Schlein's book the alphabet versus the goddess which is this idea that uh well i'm i'm vastly oversimplifying it i'm sure but that the rise of written language led to the downfall of the goddess and i i know he talks a lot about this right brain versus left brain and that we we um we move out of the okay i'm going to stop because i don't remember the book well enough to i feel like to say it right but maybe i'll just i'll stop there and ask you do you feel like that's in conflict with where you landed or uh, um no it's very and it's quite similar really except i see the dividing line more as when the market uh began to be uh generalized as okay. in like uh they and when money started, which was okay. in 600 BC, at least the way some people calculate it, uh, in uh, Lydia in Greece, uh, and um, and so I think the big change happened then, but probably also that I I believe the 
brain was prepared for the exchange by the by writing. So okay. two stages maybe first uh, writing and then exchange that made it worse. Okay. And uh, yeah, so there is a writer named Alfred Sonrathel who talks about the exchange abstraction and how the um, interaction of exchange, especially for money, ha makes us do something that's abstract in reality because money does not have any value in itself. It's just an abstract thing that we use to exchange with. And that abstraction, he thinks, has um, influenced philosophy from the beginning, from pre-Socratics all up until uh, Kant and, and Newton and uh, uh, all of that. And he gives a lot of descriptions of how it's done. So I believe this is probably right, that there is this abstraction that comes after money and is introduced. And especially when you're using money uh, all the time, like we are. And so it gives us part of our explanation of the world is abstract. Mm -hmm. And we don't even respect the concrete things that people do to nurture and to care for each other and uh, even to interact with the world, the, the all of those things that are not exchanged and are not abstract, we don't see them very well because we have these abstracted glasses on. Yes. Yeah. And so that is what I think has happened to take us away from the goddess and from the maternal um gift economy and it places us in a situation where we have a one uh, one standard as in money and then everything else is compared to it so it's just like a, a patriarchal god that is one standard for everything and uh and 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 lays down the law and yes. leaves out the, the mother and the and the uh, and the earth and the nurturing of the earth because the patriarchal God takes over the whole yes. nurturing role even though it it's from above and from an abstract and from outside. Yes. Oh my gosh! And I uh, so. I'm like, tell us what to do, Genevieve. I feel like we're just, <laughs> we're so, I, I mean, there, there can be a sense of like, um, overwhelm, right. When you look at where we are and how tangled and, um, I, I want to use the word lost, you know, how lost we, we are perhaps from these, these uh, origins, like uh, this, this, this original nature of, um, of compassion and gifting. And so I'm, I'm, I am curious what you might say, or how have you in your life practiced, um, experimented with, you know, leaning into 
this idea of a maternal gift economy while also facing the reality that what's around us is very much not that. Well, first, first of all, I've tried to explain it. You know, I've tried to, to show people what I see. I think now at this, at the, at the, I think now at this point in, in his story that we have to really see the gift economy if we want to survive. And we have to learn that we can practice it and follow those values instead of the values of this me first uh, neoliberal capitalist what a patriarchal way. Um, the planet is not going to survive otherwise. And uh, humanity won't. So we need to realize that we are not uh, even a homo sapiens species because we don't know what's going on and sapiens is knowing. And we're certainly not homo economicus. We're actually a species that is homo donans, the gifting species, and a maternal species. We're a widely maternal and intensely maternal species that has kind of gotten this uh, strange idea of, uh, of the market and exchange and capitalism and money that's kind of gotten implanted in our minds. And we're looking always through those, those glasses and we're doing things that are according to that interpretation of the world instead of according to the interpretation of of the gift economy. And, um, you know, there are so many indigenous societies still uh, that, that didn't have uh, market exchange before they were invaded by us. And... Um, Many of them still do practice gifting and have a whole other kind of spirituality that includes the earth, not a power over the earth, but that includes the earth or the earth includes them. Uh, so we, we do have these other models and there are still matriarchies that exist that are not mirror images of patriarchy but egalitarian societies with uh, mothering values. And uh, they're already there. So we do have uh, some examples of a way we can go, we could go. But I think that if we begin to realize that we are not this uh, patriarchal capitalist being and um, that our value of our egotistic value of thinking, you know, we are have to be the best and the wealthiest and the strongest and all of those things, even as nations and as and as uh, corporations. <laughs> you know, I mean, this this kind of image has just been uh, propagated everywhere, and now, you know, the different nations are fighting with each other to see who's going to be the biggest and the best as now and as has been also throughout history but now we have such an amount of technology that we can just 
destroy each other and everything. So we are not the species that's doing that. We are a maternal species. And that um, behavior is not is alien to us and it hurts us each individually as well as as whole groups of people um and, and it makes us worse towards each other as well it makes us racist and sexist and nationalist and uh, it, so we need to we need to have this reawakening as a maternal species and that and in in practice, that means a respect for women's values, basically. And you know, I started. Of course, I've I've gotten more um, into all of this more and more as the years have passed. And now, with the with the crisis that we're in since since two thousand and two thousand and ten, and now particularly in the environment crashing around us, it's even more and more and more important. And uh, I started out when I came back uh, to the United States in 1983, I, I started uh, trying to create, uh, trying to get found a foundation and I had a what was called a private operating foundation where we did our own um activities that other people joined so so we had a, a retreat center that women and men could come to free or lo very low cost and they used it for their weekends and their meetings and everything and so i thought you know women especially have never been have never had people give anything to them free they haven't had the experience because we we're always told we have to pay for whatever it is or we're not respectable or respectful and uh this, our in fact our society has a lot of fail safes to keep us from doing gifting and receiving uh and they're like it's kind of immoral almost <laughs> to to receive a gift free uh, and and so I tried in practice to generalize that as much as I could from the beginning. And then we did a lot of activism of various kinds, anti-nuclear work and um, a lot of just a lot of different things. In the website, you can see some of the many different things that we did. We also had a, a goddess program and uh, we... This this went work went on for about twenty five years, um, and uh, there were a lot of women that worked in the foundation. Was um, multicultural. See, also uh, we had a number of international people that worked in it, and um, doing all these different projects. We had women's radio. Uh, one radio program that came, it was called Wings. It still exists. That uh, woman named Frida Worden has been doing for all these years, and she had started it, but then she joined us later. Um, 
and it is is a program of women's voices from all over the world and all different uh, on all different issues. And uh, then another program called Fire, Feminist International Radio Endeavor, that was in Costa Rica, and it did similar things and went they went to women's conferences and heard women's opinions on everything. So those were another two. And there, there were just a lot of uh, different um, things we did. Anti-nuclear, as I said, we had, there was a peace caravan that went around the country and talked to, about anti-nuclear stuff. I, I won't, I mean, it's a long story and I can't go into all of it. But yeah, so we, we practiced that and, and did that was the practice of the gift economy as far as I could manage. And then uh, I met a woman named Heide Gottner Abendroth, at, in, who did a conference in 2003, I believe it was. No, maybe it was earlier than that. Maybe, I don't remember right now. Anyway, she, uh, this was a conference about matriarchal studies. She is uh, she's a German woman uh, who has initiated matriarchal studies of modern matriarchal societies that are still matriarchal. And as I said, still egalitarian, not power over. Um, and so she had a conference on that in Luxembourg. And I went to that conference and I was really so happy to find out about her ideas and about the matriarchal societies that still exist. And, and since then, we've collaborated several times, and we had a conference on matriarchal studies in Texas in 2005, I think it was. Um, and I also um, uh, had, well, and then we had a big conference on the gift economy in in 2004 and then we also had other conferences during this time to try to promote the values of of uh, gifting so we did just a whole lot of work over the over the years um well and i i wanted to ask you too um well well i guess i would i'd like the sekhmet temple as well right you would also uh, and that's still and that's still going isn't it yeah, well, we started that in 1992. Okay. On the 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 anniversary of the invasion of the Americas, you remember the 500 year anniversary of Columbus. Yes. Okay. And uh, and so and I gave the land back to the Shoshone, whose land it originally was all around there, mm -hmm. and that land that's still being used by the nuclear test site and the and the. Um, army in, in air force installations yeah well and i i'm curious if we fast forward now too to where we're at now what what do you see in terms of this idea of the gift economy do you see it like i like i don't i'm i was trying to think of examples that i might see i don't know if you would think of like that if you're familiar with the buy nothing movement for example or um if you would consider that part of it or um you know, do you see, I'm like looking for the right word, like sparks of light or somewhere, you know, where where um, better understanding of this is taking hold. 
yeah, there are lots of of uh, there are, there are lots of experiments in in the gift economy. Uh, there's a man named Charles Eisenstein that wrote about that, and a lot of people are following him. And there's the buy nothing movement. I think it's great. Uh, there are lots of eco villages that people are trying to practice gifting in or non monetary. Uh, economies in but they don't connect it with mothering mm. and so uh, the, all of that could be united according to the this other paradigm this yeah. maternal paradigm that we all have and boys have too because boys also have mothers it's not that they don't uh, follow the maternal model when they're little they all do all of the children do yeah and I would say like for uh you know, this generation, and certainly for my kids' generation too, I think um, parenting, you know, you are, you're practicing those nurturing roles in a different way than let's say like um, my, my father who wasn't really present and certainly my mother's generation, but um, my partner, for example, is, <laughs> has always been really in there with the kids. Um, so. Yeah, so good for the children to, yes. and for, especially for the boys. So they yeah. realize, but for both that they realize that gifting is something, nurturing is something that everybody needs to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, I I think that this change in roles is wonderful, but it's not happening soon enough. Yeah. <laughs> it has to really be radical um, and and it has to happen on a big scale. You You may have a nurturing husband and father but the father of the country is not nurturing right <laughs> he can be you know a, a very big bully uh, as we have recently seen and uh all of the posturing and not just posturing the fighting between nations is totally according to a male exchange model where you take vengeance and vengeance is exchange against the person or the country that has has harmed you and 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 it's all it's all a commercial model underneath everything and and we don't even even though men are becoming more nurturing and and more gifting and 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 are happy to do that you know it's liberating for them as well as for women um it is it, it's not happened near enough on the big scale and money has taken over you know the place of the power so that the more money you have the more important you are yeah. and uh, the people that don't have money are not important and it's, yeah. it's as if by getting money, we have gotten the biggest gift. It's as if God has blessed us with having more money. And so we're better. Well, <laughs> yes. And there's a whole, I mean, there's like the prosperity doctrine, right? Of, you know, modern Christ evangelical Christianity. And I think you see it, unfortunately, in the, um, in the um, more of a new age movement too, with this idea of manifestation, like you can just bring it all into you. And I actually, I know Sherry Mitchell has been part of the maternal gifts uh, economy salons. And I I heard or read her say at some point, which I thought was so wonderful that it was like, it was like um, 
children playing with manifestation. Like, let's see what I can get for me. You know, it's all about me rewarding myself and like money and a big house. And it's, yeah, and it's, yeah. it, of course, that those, those powers are available to us, but it shouldn't be about enriching ourselves. It should be about healing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah making a world uh, okay for everybody. And, yeah. you know, and it really is a different kind of personality that, is in harmony with the maternal values that is looking at the needs of uh, of everybody of nature and, and of people in other countries uh, and rather than just a me first thing but you know i kind of think that may happen because of uh, of what we do when we're mothers of young children because when we give to them we give value to them and so they feel uh, self-esteem. But if there are two children and one gets nurtured and the other one doesn't, the self-esteem gets altered. And so the one child that doesn't get it, it is feeling lower and the one that does get it is feeling more important. And it's as, as if in, in our economy, the ones that have gotten more money feel more important and better yes. than oh, the people gosh. who have less. Yeah. And so they feel like God is um, blessing just them. Yeah. And it's just, it, it just is, is too bad, you know, <laughs> because, and it is God rather than goddess because goddess would be uh, giving to everyone. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. I, I've, been reflecting on this in your work. And I, I've been thinking about like, ah, uh, the ideal of where we might want to be versus where we are now. And, um, you know, on the one hand, it can feel like such a great chasm, you know, like there's this huge separation. However, I was thinking about perhaps there's like, I'm imagining it as like an unraveling of sorts, an unraveling of really toxic, unhealthy practices. And perhaps the first step of that unraveling is awareness. Um, also in gifting, I think there's the, the word atonement keeps coming up for me, which I know it's got a lot of religious like the, but righting wrongs, cleaning up the messes that we've made because of this really um, messed up mentality and direction that we've been on. So for example, I'm familiar with a group here in Virginia that's called um, Decolonizing Abundance. And so it's kind of like buy nothing, but it if you look at buy nothing, it is mostly, it's a very neighborhood movement. Well, you've got concentrated wealth in neighborhoods. So you're not really, you're, you're not necessarily moving gifts all the time to people who really, really need them. And so the idea with the decolonizing abundance is that you're trying to create a forum where those people who have more and got that through, you know, just an unfair system have a way to, funnel that excess directly to people who need it without having to go through the intermediary of nonprofits or whatever, which are also kind of caught up in that structure. They are. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's, that's great. And also now, you know, there are a lot of women's funds that have sprung up over the many years. And I, yes. and I know a woman who basically started those. And so I think it's very cool that that, that is a big part of a movement for social change although like you said there is a lot of bureau bureaucratization in, in uh, along those and so i think we have to really be careful about that being uh, uh, assimilated 
Um, I think one of the ways that we can trans transform ourselves towards a gift economy is really seeing the gifts that already exist. Mm. Um, you know, when you when you uh, say to somebody, "How are you?" You're asking, "What are your needs?" Um, and actually, every uh, all kinds of interactions are giving the other person something that they can receive in in order to understand you and what the situation is. Um, you smile at somebody that's looks sad and that's a gift, you know, and we do it all the time. And I, I have made a lot of big effort to show that language and communication are based on gifting. Well, we usually look at it at, at language as um, something that's abstract at, with abstract sim, syntax rules and, and uh, that is genetically inherited. But let's see the, early life of every human being is in a gift economy and the giving and receiving, I believe, is the actual basis of, of syntax and of language and words uh, are gifts for perceptual gifts. Anyway, I, I went through that and I've written a lot about it because so much of our lives is and so much of academia is based on an abstraction. All of the different sciences are abstract and they're all due to this exchange abstraction. They all have that um, um, setting. But we can go back from that and reclaim so many things in life for the giving and receiving rather than for um, abstract logic. And the giving and receiving does have a logic of its own. Um, if A gives to B and B gives to C, then A gives to C. So if I give to you and you give to somebody else, that goes along. The gift passes on. And that's how we create the gifting communities. Everybody is giving to everybody else. And that implies that we're all valuable to each other. And it's not, it doesn't have to do with the value of exchange. It has to do with the value of the people and of satisfying each other's needs. So that makes it very different. And I'm, I tried to look, you look through my exchange glasses and see the gifts that are behind that. And even, you know, they're, they're gifts even within the exchange economy as it is like you can give somebody a loan that's a gift, even if then it can be really a terrible thing to have to pay it back. So, but there are, uh, if it loans are scarce, then the person needs a loan, then you satisfy their need. And it's in a way, it all kind of compacts it and things compact into each other when you get into the whole exchange mode. Mm. But um, even communication, uh, I think is based on this uh, is the word communication is communication and muni means gifts in Latin. So communication is giving gifts together. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's so beautiful. And it is. It is. And, and I think that's what we're doing and we don't realize it. So it's it, whenever you can find a gift that's behind 
the uh, if they exchange glasses, uh, I, it's a step ahead. Yeah. And I believe that if we can find enough of those, it's very convincing to everybody that we are um, we are really this homo donans. Mm -hmm. We are really gifting beings and not exchange beings. I love that. Well, and I, I, I know we're almost out of time, but I do, I have one more question for you. And I also recognize that this could change day to day, depending on what's happening in the world. But I'm wondering, you know, you've, you've dedicated your life to doing this work and I, how are you feeling about our future? Do you find hope for us or do you, you know, does it depend on the day or <laughs> do you think we're going to figure this out before we annihilate ourselves? <laughs> well, yeah, I think we have to uh have to be positive and that i think there is a, a flow of, uh, of solutions that it's kind of like a, a river with a lot of different currents in it yeah and the currents are separate for now but they can come together and that that is going to bring us to a totally better place uh if we stop doing that i think we don't have any hope yes. so so we have to just it, it do as much as we can in the best ways we can mm -hmm. and uh we have to recognize the situation we're in yeah especially the environment and and it's hard not to recognize if everything's burning now. i know i know and uh, if not it's flooding so yeah. And and uh, and we need to stop making wars, yeah. and stop exploiting people. And uh, so, yeah. Well, I, I love. I, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I I just say for, I'm I'm 82, so I don't know how many years ahead of me I have, but I'm feel blessed that I have anything to give at this point. You know, that there there is something that I can do and I keep doing it. Mm -hmm. And so I still haven't finished figuring out all of this gift and exchange mess. <laughs> so so I, I welcome anybody that wants to uh, come to our our uh, salons that we're going to start having again in the fall. So, so Yes, they are wonderful. And I will put a link in the show notes so people can find them. It's great because if you can join live, it's wonderful, but they're also just recorded. So you can catch them later because they're on the weekend. So sometimes, you know, I know it's, that can be tricky for people, but um, yes. And I, um, I want to thank you so much for the gift of your time uh, and sharing all of this. It's wonderful, wonderful to be in conversation with you. And I've I, I love, I want to walk away. So maybe listeners will walk away too, with this idea of the the rivers, you know, and like the idea of like, let's see, we, we either, we find our own stream to step into, you know, and flow with it and know that uh, they all eventually lead back to one source, one heart. And uh, there's yeah. that trust, I think that comes up for me again, too, you know, faith that just the, the small efforts that we do to, um, to change our course, well, it will matter. Yeah, matter. and we need to keep our eye on the big picture too, because yeah. yeah, because the little picture is connected to the big picture. Yes, yes. And, yeah. Mm. So thank you so much. You know, the, I always say, 
the greatest gift that you can give to a woman is the floor. <laughs> you have given me a floor to speak from. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I'm so glad. Thank you for taking the floor. I always say that the, the purpose of this podcast is to amplify um, these really br brilliant voices that are all out there that I think need to be heard more. So I'm um, anybody who gets to hear this, I think it's going to be blessed. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. Yeah. And thanks to all of you guys, as always for listening. Um, you like the show, do me a favor, write up a little short review. It really does help other people find the show where you can, um, you can tell a friend about it. You can subscribe to it, but you can do all those things if you're feeling so inspired and, um, until next time, take good care. is hosted by me, Liz Kelly. You can visit me online at hometoher.com where you can find show notes and other episodes. You can read articles about the sacred feminine and you'll also find a link to join the Home to Her Facebook group for lots more discussion and exploration of her. You can also follow me on Instagram at home to her to keep up to date with the latest episodes. Thanks so much for joining us and we'll see you back here soon. 